Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Um, Normally, um, I am currently preaching through the book of Exodus. We're in the Ten Commandments at the moment, but I wanted today to take a detour out of Exodus and go to Matthew. Um, we'll be in chapter 11. We'll be in the last three verses of the chapter, 28 through 30. Um, I wonder if you've ever had a rumor spread about you. Uh, I wonder if people have ever shared an opinion about you that, that was just flat wrong. I mean, it was wrong. It's happened to me more than once, Um, and when that happens, it's not very hard, especially in our day, for that false opinion to spread like wildfire or that rumor to be all over the world within just a few minutes in the advent of social media. Before too long, everybody believes it, but it's not right. And even worse, over time, it becomes like a game of telephone where um, it just gets more and more exaggerated person to person. And so it starts at that person procrastinating on a college assignment. And by the end of it, it's spreading and it's become that person is the laziest person who's ever lived and will just be mooching off their parents for the rest of their life. They will never amount to anything. And really, the reason the assignment got, didn't get turned in was that you had the flu. But that's how the thing snowballs into chaos. That's how false opinions and, and, and rumors spread. And the fact is, this has happened in our understanding of God nationwide. Um, God, we know that in the Bible, God puts forth commandments of how to live. And he does that because he created the universe. And so he knows how it functions best. And he gives laws so that um, we can live to the fullest and most abundant life. But over time, false views of God have been promoted They've been spread. They've been misinterpreted to paint a picture of God that he is something like a harsh judge or an abusive father or a, um, or a cruel slave master. That he sits up in heaven just watching you and waiting for you to screw up. That he really has no interest of you ever having any kind of fun. That he will strike you with lightning if the smallest word is spoken wrongly. That he's always seeking to weigh down your life with unrealistic expectations and unnecessary demands. And a million other things have come about from false rumors being spread about God. Fake news, if you will. What's the truth? What is the truth? Who is God really? What is the truth about who God is the God in heaven that, uh, that exists, it's been his, the, the truth about him has been distorted. So what is the truth? Well, to find that out, we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. 
Scripture says some pretty incredible things about Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. So it's something like if you went, uh, if, I, if I had to go give my fingerprint for something, they would know that that is my identity. No one else has my fingerprint. So it's almost like Jesus is the fingerprint of God. You want to know who God is? You want to know the identity of God? You look at Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. So God himself is invisible. He's a spirit, but Jesus is that spirit manifest as a person. John 14, verse 9. Philip asked Jesus, hey, would you just show us the Father already? And Jesus responds, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who he is, you look at Jesus and you see all that God is. 2,000 years ago, a man walked on earth who was God in, a hu in human flesh and who was the perfect representation of God's nature and character on, to, to the world. And his, in case you don't know, his life story is, is told in four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, all of them are called Gospels, and 89 chapters make up these four books. And only once in all 89 chapters does Jesus tell us what his heart is like. Does he tell us who he is at the core of who he is? He tells us a lot about himself, but only once does he say, this is what I am like at the core of who I am in my heart. So let's find out the truth about who God is in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, there are certain people I will never be invited to join for anything. No matter who the president is, I'll probably never be invited to have lunch with him or her. I don't fit any criteria that would make the president ever reach out to me for lunch. I'll never be asked by Tom Cruise to join him on the set of Mission Impossible. Never will. I'll never be asked to hang out in the dugout with the Atlanta Braves. I, I just never will. I don't fit the criteria to, to, for, to be invited to any of these things. There's a privilege that comes with being invited to those things. There's a privilege behind being invited. I didn't invite every person in Tifton to my wedding. We, we invited friends and family. When you were a kid, you didn't invite the entire school to your birthday parties, unless your mom was one of those people that said, we don't want to leave anybody out. You only invited those that meant something to you. That's what you did. You invited your friends, the, the classmates that you were friends with. And here's the deal. God is an inviting God. He extends an invitation. That's what he does. He, was, he has a very generous criteria for who can receive this invitation. We'll get to that criteria in a minute. But God is not closed off. I, was a, I studied religious studies at Western Kentucky University. That's what my college degree is in. And, and so as part of that, I studied more than just Christianity. I had to study the other world religions. I also had to study um, religions from millennia ago, religions people worshipped and believed thousands of years ago that really aren't practiced anymore. And many of those religions had gods that honestly just kind of put up with humans. I mean, just kind of dealt with them. Like they're, they're just noise to their ears that they're really annoyed with having to hear. 
They actually, in, in some of the religions, would put, they, they put mankind to work so they didn't have to hear from them. Just go, you know, clean the toilet or something. I, I don't want to hear from you. That, that would be too much of a bother for them. Well, the God of the Bible is an inviting God. He invites. We see that in Jesus. Jesus came inviting people. He came doing that. He came to his disciples, and what did he say? Come, follow me. He invited fishermen to follow him. He invited tax collectors. He invited the rich and the poor. He invited men and women. He invited Jew and Gentile. He invited rulers and servants. He invited the religious leaders and the prostitutes. He invited all people. Come follow me. He, he, he had his arms open wide saying, come. He's inviting. It blows up your misconceptions about who God is. It blows them out of the water. That he wants nothing to do with you that you don't fit the criteria for an invitation to join him, that you're too broken for him, that he can't stand the sight of you, that you have to really clean up your life before you are going to be able to be welcomed near God. If you're honest, you don't really want much to do with that kind of God. And I don't either, because he doesn't exist. Look at Jesus. He's got his arms open wide saying, come, come. He invites you, whether you're the goody two-shoes or you live the most shameful life. He invites you if you're rich and famous or completely insignificant. He invites you if you're a church person or if this is the first time in your life you've ever been in a church building. He invites you. He invites you if you're lovely in the world's eyes, and he invites you if you are loveless. He cries out to all in verse 28, come to me all. All of what? What's the criteria? There is a criteria. Not all who, the, not, not all the invitation, it's, it's not for, um, not of who the invitation's for, it's for all people, but who will respond to the invitation? The invitation goes out to certain people. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who labor and are heavy laden. It's, it's two groups of people. Those who labor who actively labor, and those who are heavy laden, those who passively are just weighed down by life. Those who labor, they're, they're trying to crowbar their life in, in place in every way. They're trying to have full meticulous control over their life. They've got to make sure it goes exactly as they plan. And if it doesn't, man, that's just going to be the end of the world. They're working hard to finagle everything into the right place, trying so hard to find approval in the eyes of others, working so hard to make a mark on the world, so convinced that if, if you don't do everything exactly right, your life is going to crumble, scared to death of the future. Those who labor come to Jesus. And those who are heavy laden, it's passive, weighed down by the demands of life, buried under anxiety and depression, caught in sin that, that you can't overcome, feeling like you are drowning under the expectations of your parents or your peers or somebody else, heavy laden people that are weighed down by life. He says, come to me. You know you're, you, you know you're screwed up or struggling. That's who he's calling out. The people who know they need help. You feel the demands of all uh, of life pressing down on you like a massive weight. You can't find any way out. You've tried everything. You're begging for relief, begging for air. You're just trying to keep your head above water in white water rapids. You can't find a way out. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. He says, come and I will give you rest. That's what he says in verse 28. Come to me and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. It's one of the most beautiful offers in scripture. Come to me. Come to me and find rest. You're not coming to me. He says, he doesn't say come to me and I'll give you a bunch of demands. I'll give you a bunch of orders. No, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. He invites you to come. He receives the sinner, the broken, and the weighed down. I wonder if that's you this morning. Don't you know Jesus is offering you the solution to your pain? This is the answer to our restless world. Our, our world is restless, always needing to be doing something. Ten extracurricular activities. After all, some job 20 years from now might need to see that on your resume. This is the answer to our world that always needs to be entertained. You got to wait in line at the grocery store? Just check Facebook. Are you bored? Just watch unlimited videos on TikTok. Uh, you have a Saturday free? Just binge the whole first season of Stranger Things. And by the end of it, we all just have a headache and we feel terrible. He says, come and find rest. Come find rest. Come and find quiet for your soul. Come and find Jesus and his abundant life that he offers. He calls the spiritually bankrupt, those who labor and are heavy laden. Earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not the people who are poor financially, the people who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people who are poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means they are destitute in their soul. They know they're screwed up and they need help. It's those very people that the Lord wants to care for. Those who know that they're poor spiritually, begging for hope, begging for relief, not trying to help their self by pulling up their own bootstraps, crying out, Lord, help me, save me, I need help. So there's then, when we look at this wonderful summons in verse 28, there's some people that don't fit that criteria. There's some. Jesus makes us an offer that we can't refuse. It's so good, yet people are going to refuse it. Proud people. The, the proud they're the ones who will refuse it. That's the only way you'd ever refuse this wonderful of an offer. You, you, you would say, I'm good. I don't need that. I, I have no need of what Jesus offers. But hey, I do know some people down the street that need it. I know some people across the railroad tracks that need it. Man, go, Jesus, go find them. They need the help. I'm good. I'm good. Now, people don't necessarily say this exactly in their life, but it's the way they see the world. It's the foundation of everything they do and believe. See, it's not usually the wretched sinner that rejects Jesus. It's the righteous good person, the righteous churchgoer, the righteous person that, that really doesn't have that much problems. That's why Jesus was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, but religious people had him killed. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's not the broken sexual sinner that, that God rejects. It's the proud person who thinks they need no help. They will hear a sermon, and they'll walk out the door, and they'll shake the hand of the person that preached it, and they'll say, good sermon, and they'll go home and throw that sermon away with a crumpled up bulletin in their hand that they throw into the garbage. The hardest people... The hardest person for Jesus to save is the person that thinks they don't need saving because they're good. College students, you're here today, and um, uh, my wife and I love working with college students. We're at the BCM most Monday nights, and do you know why I, I, I'm so drawn to ministering to college students? Because you're in a season of life 
where you most want to grow. You are curious, you're hungry, you're at a prime time when you're interested in hearing from Jesus. You're most open to seeking help when you're struggling. What can happen, though, is if, you're, if you don't proactively fight that, is when you hit your 30s or your 40s, you'll stop being interested in that kind of help. You'll stop being interested in hearing from Jesus. You'll stop being interested in growing. Why? Because you, you arrive at the places you're dreaming about right now. You're, you'll arrive at that career and that family and that what, whatever it is, and you'll stop being interested in growing anymore. I've arrived. But no, you haven't. You haven't. You get so busy with life that you don't take the time to examine your soul and desire to grow. Fight that. Don't become a proud person who thinks they have it all together. Remain spiritually poor and needy. That's the kind of person Jesus invites here. Who's the one that invites? Obviously, it's Jesus, but who is he? That's verse 29. What is he saying? He says that he is gentle and lowly in his heart. At the core of who he is, at the very core of his essence, is that he is gentle and lowly. This is the only place in the Gospels Jesus tells us what he's like in his heart. He's gentle. I wonder if that's how you think of God, how you think of him, that he's gentle. That's the complete opposite of what, what is seen as awesome in our day and time, isn't it? If I had to pick a Bible verse that describes our country in 2023, it would be 1 Timothy 6.4. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. That sounds like the day we live in. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy. How loud and proud can you be? How triggered can you get? How much of a rant can you go on? How opinionated can you be? Do you have a hot take? What's the most epic mic drop you can have happen? People today don't want gentleness. They want roughness. They want brashness. They, they want to see who can sling the most epic insult and leave the whole room going, oh! Our world has an unhealthy craving for that kind of attitude, and it's a sickness in our culture. It's completely counterintuitive to the heart that Jesus has for us. He is gentle. It was Jesus who said earlier in Matthew 5 that the meek will inherit the earth. The people who are meek are the ones who inherit the earth, he says. Why? Well, because all those who aren't meek destroy each other, and the meek people are the ones that are left. But so many places in Scripture describe Jesus as being meek and gentle. Zechariah 9.9, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He's humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus wouldn't come as a conquering king, riding a horse ready to kill people with his sword. Now, Revelation does show he will come back a second time like that. But the first time he comes, and he's a humble king on a donkey, riding ready to receive people, ready to receive them. 1 Peter 3, 4 says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very Precious. Understand being gentle and lowly is an imperishable beauty. It does not fade. You don't, know how, you don't know many people like that, do you? But those that do, those that you do know, they stand out in your mind. They do. It's why your sweet grandmother is one of your favorite people, but that person who loves to stir up controversy on Facebook is someone you avoid, unless it happens to be your grandmother. Jesus is gentle. He's gentle. 
He's also lowly. He's lowly. That means he doesn't domineer over people. He comes down to their level. We see that in the very essence of what Jesus did. I read it at the beginning of the service. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Maybe you've been told, as I was in my religion degree, that all religions are basically the same. They're just people climbing up different sides of the mountain. That there's one God at the top, and every religion has their own little interpretation of him. And they're all just climbing up different sides of the mountain. They're all going to get there in the end. Here's the deal. What if God didn't actually expect us to climb the mountain? What if he came down the mountain to us? What if he descended the mountain and revealed who he was to us? That's what he did in Jesus. He did not hold on to his being God. He emptied himself, became the form of a servant. He was born just like us, and he humbled himself. That's what Jesus did. Divinity clothed itself in humanity and lived among us. He is lowly. He comes and associates with us. As a human, Jesus had to go through everything we do. Everything. He came out as a slimy baby with an umbilical cord. He would have cried. He would have soiled his diaper. He grew up and had to learn to talk and walk. He would have lost all of his baby teeth. He would have gone through puberty with all of its acne and body odor. He had to work and eat and sleep and shower. He lived just like us. He was lowly. The most powerful and most glorious being in existence had all the praise of all the angels, was in unapproachable light, all glory and honor. He came and lived as a regular human. Not even a king. He didn't come live as a king. He came to live as a carpenter's son. Stand in awe of this humble God. Jesus is the most approachable person who has ever lived. Hey, what does he say in verse 29? He says, I'm gentle and lowly, so take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He invites you to take his yoke upon you. What is that? Well, it's a, a yoke was a, a wooden harness that you would put on two oxen. Two oxen would go together, uh, kind of like reindeer, if you will, pulling a sled. Two oxen would, would have this thing on them. They would be pulling something, and they, they could pull it together when they're yoked together on this, on this yoke. The idea is you are trying to pull your life on your own. You're trying to pull it. You're laboring and heavy laden. And Jesus comes and invites you, hey, why, why don't you just join into the yoke that I have around my neck and, and let me pull? You, you ever been helping lift something heavy and, and you're having a really hard time with it and then two or three other people come and help you and they're stronger than you and they start lifting it and you kind of just have to like keep your hands there so it looks like you're doing something? That's what we're talking about. That, that's what we're talking about. He invites you to let him carry your life so you don't have to keep being burdened down by it. Will you come to this gentle and lowly Savior? He promises if you do, he will give you three things in verses 29 and 30. First, you will find rest. Jesus offers to give you rest. He says, what, notice the word he uses, I will give you rest. Not I might give it. Not if you get into my inner circle, you'll finally find it. No, if you come to me, he says, I will give you rest. He offers to finally teach you how to rest. 
how to not have to labor yourself into the ground, how to not have to fill your life up with so many things, how to not have to be always be entertained, how to not have to turn empty things in life into satisfaction. Will you come find this rest? He offers it to you. It's free for the taking. Second, he offers to be your teacher, to be your teacher. Notice he says, come and learn from me. Everyone is looking for someone to teach them how to live, whether that's through books or professors or mentors or influencers or celebrity or the news or podcast or history or whatever. Like we're all trying to learn from somebody. And Jesus offers to teach you how to live, how to be gentle and lowly. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. You will find rest when you learn how to be gentle and lowly, that's what he says, and he says, I'll teach you how to do it. That's what he wants to teach you, how to be gentle, how to be humble, how to live in the way that will result in you inheriting the earth. That's where rest comes in. It's living like him. Jesus is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. That's why you so often get impatient waiting on God's timing, because you're in more of a hurry than he is. He's not constrained by time, so he's not in a hurry. And thirdly, third thing he offers, he offers an easy, verse 30, he offers an easy yoke and a light burden. He tells you to take his yoke of gentleness and lowliness, and you will have an easy yoke and a light burden. Because he's in charge of it. It's a different life than the one you, you're suffering under right now. But wait a second. I've read the Bible, and Jesus has some pretty radical demands. It doesn't sound very easy to me. I mean, I mean, be perfect as God is perfect. Love your enemies. If you look with lust, you're committing adultery in your heart. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. So many more things. This sure sounds like a hard burden to me. I don't know what Jesus thinks he's talking about here, because he clearly doesn't remember the rest of what he said. Well, just understand. Jesus is speaking in the context of the religious people of his day, and he speaks very well to, other, to, to, to our day as well with our so many misconceptions about God. Remember, the Pharisees in his time, they weren't satisfied with God's law alone, so they had to add to it. They had to come up with their own traditions and commandments to go with God's law. So it's not just keep the Sabbath. It's don't take more than 100 steps outside of your house on the Sabbath. They would add things like that. They added burdens to people. They weighed people down with demands that God didn't expect of them. Our day does that too. All the demands of God that our society believes, you know, so, so churches have for generations called things that, uh, you know, sins that, that God gives no word about really, like dancing, like, like going to the movies, like wearing jeans to church. Like those things aren't in the Bible, but, but, but religious people love to add to God's law and give to, to weigh people down with them. Jesus offers freedom from all of this. Come find freedom in living life as God intended it, not as the world or as religious people intend. There are certainly laws and commandments that he calls you to, but they're for your benefit and your good. It's the extra laws that man add that are harmful. Everybody lives by some kind of rule system, even if it's just the rules you made up for yourself. And you're weighed down and burdened by them. Jesus is offering you a new life, free from those demands. So he says, come to me. So how do you come? 
Well, Scripture gives a threefold response to coming to Jesus. The first is to repent. That is to turn from the life you're currently living in. Turn from the sins you have been a slave to so long. Turn from the path of life that you're currently trying to find life in. Turn from all of it and say, I no longer want to be a captive to those things. Turn away from them and run. Second is believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Believe the good news that Jesus came to save you from that old life. He became just like you, except he had no sin within himself. He lived the life that we all should have lived, and he died the death that we all deserve. Our sin in pursuit of of our own path has left us guilty and deserving of death. And Jesus came and died so that he came and died in our place, bearing our punishment so that we could be free and forgiven. And then he rose from the dead, he defeated death, and now he reigns victoriously in heaven. Believe that message. Not just that it was an event in history, but that it happened for you. And finally, follow Jesus, which frankly is just the outworking of those first two commands. Repent of your sins, believe the gospel, follow Jesus. You leave the old life behind, you believe Jesus did this, and you surrender your life to him and you follow him. You run away from your old life and follow him into new life. And scripture says if you do this, you'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be given a new heart with new desires. You'll be adopted into God's family. You will get his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you will find rest for your souls. What if you've already done that? As I have, as many of you in this room have, what if, what if you've already done that? Because maybe you hear this part of the sermon, and you're like, I can check out here because he's talking to people that don't know Jesus. But hold up. If, if you've done this and you're still struggling... You do, those three, you, you, you do those three steps again, not to be saved, but to, to find new life, to, to find renewal. You repent of whatever's weighing you down. You believe Jesus came to free you from it. You follow him into new life. You do that the first time to find redemption to be saved. You do that again if you're weighed down by something. You know, if, frankly, if you're, if you're struggling with, I don't know, anxiety, that's the answer. Turn from your anxiety, believe Jesus came to free you of it, and follow him into new life. If you're struggling with addiction to pornography, that's how you find freedom from it. You do that. You repent of it. You believe he came to free you from it, and you run into new life with him. That's the, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. So we're about to have a time to respond. Jesus calls you and draws you to himself to come to him and find rest. Would you do that today? You can respond one of many ways. You can come to the front and talk with me. I'll be standing here at the front during this song that we're about to sing. If you feel the Lord moving in you to respond during this song, come forward and talk to me. I'd love to talk with you. You can come to the altar and pray if you need to um, unload to the Lord this morning. There's a spot here to do it. You can do it in your seat if you'd like. If you have questions about all this and you want to talk to somebody, I'd love to meet with you and help you. If, if, maybe you don't want to meet today. Maybe you want to meet with somebody else. There's uh, Talk to somebody in this church over lunch. And, and, and talk to them about it. Or um, there's cards in your pew, say connection cards on them. If you want to meet and talk this week, fill those out. Give it to me at the door. I'll give you a call. We'll schedule a time this week to talk. Or if you're an ABAC student, there's plenty of BCM students here that would love to talk with you. Talk to one of them. Do whatever it takes this morning, whoever you are, wherever you're at, to come to Jesus and find rest in him. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for the rest that you give. 
I praise you that Jesus gives rest. And Lord, I pray that everyone here knows that this morning. Because Lord, life can weigh us down. Life can burden us. And we can be heavy laden by life, and then we can start laboring, trying to, trying to crowbar our, our life back into normal. And, and Lord, we weigh ourselves down, and we burden ourselves, and we kill ourselves in the process. And Jesus stands over us saying, come to me and rest. And so may we do that. May we find rest in Jesus. I pray for each person here that they would turn from their old life, believe the gospel, believe that Jesus came to free them from it, and follow him into new life either for the first time or for the one millionth time, for that is the essence of the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen.